Hey there. Welcome to ATL in 29, the podcast that looks at the NBA from the starting point of Atlanta. My name is Kevin Chenard. On today's episode, we welcome Avery Yang, writer for Hawks Hoop, the Atlanta Hawks affiliate for ESPN's site True Hoop. On today's episode, we each pick five teams and give them letter grades A, B, C, D, F. Although, with Avery being a college student and my day job being as a college professor, we occasionally devolve into discussions surrounding grading. We also take a look at the Hawks lineups, which for the most part have been gangbusters in every combination except for the one that might matter most, the starting five. And then we talk to the one player not on the Hawks roster who has played with both Hawks point guards, Dennis Schroeder and Malcolm Delaney. Thanks for joining us. Let's get started. So we're here with Avery Yang, who is a writer for Hawks Hoop, the ESPN True Hoop affiliate for the Atlanta Hawks. Welcome, Avery. It's good to have you. Thank you for having me. Uh, uh, Avery is also a student at Emory University, and I was just going to start by asking you, what is the vibe like at Emory in the days after the election? (laughs) Well, you know, the morning after, uh, yeah, you, you can kind of just see it, 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 you know, in people's eyes, um, their demeanor. Uh, you know, it, it was a little, it was, it was a little downtrodden, but you know, we live in a little bubble here, so uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it's evident that you know most of the country is not feeling that way, or at least like a, a quarter of it, a good portion of it. But uh, yeah, you know, it was pretty downtrodden. Um, not as many protests as I thought there would be. Um, I'm not sure if you're familiar, but we had this like little protest in March over this chalking. I do remember that <laughs> incident. Yeah, yeah. yeah so I was expecting full blown protests, but you know, evidently no one's uh, no one's come together to put that together. So interesting. So I was yeah. going to ask you if you were a journalism major, and you know, right. leading into this, uh, talking about this beforehand, you reminded me of something that I actually should have remembered, which is that Emory nixed its journalism program. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, I think I think the public statement was that uh, you know you can't teach journalism; it's a, it's a softer skill, I suppose. Oh, that's so disappointing. <laughs> yeah, it's well. you know it's oh wow. I mean, it just seems like that's such a critical skill that is is just so sore lack so sorely lacking in society at this point is yeah, right, right sources right. of information of integrity yeah and we were talking about this you know before i, I guess the recording but like yeah no I, especially the the way the country is going right now we have a president elect who you know clearly doesn't know the boundaries of the first amendment and the freedom of the press um, <laughs> and uh, local journalism is dying out, and that's super important. That's the big papers get most of their information from from local papers. Uh, they get a lot of story ideas from local papers. Local papers check local politicians, and you know. So uh, there is a trend nationwide about you know taking down journalism skill uh, schools, but uh, and uh, Emory evidently has has gone that direction. But uh, you know, I, I suppose there is a school of thought that that is is to be had about journalism schools not necessarily helping out journalism students so there is a there's a nuance there (laughs) if it is a soft skill you're you're doing a fine job for uh for hawks hoop and getting some experience that way thank you thank you so you know one of the things we usually do at the start of each podcast is i ask uh i ask my guests to to go through the ringer of this 
100 to 200 segment where I ask you for something in between a mildly controversial and a more controversial opinion. We're going to score it on a temperature scale of 100 to 200 degrees Fahrenheit. And so I would ask you first what your opinion is, and then if you'll give us a moment to guess what we think that you would score it, I'll take a second to guess it, and then you can tell us what you thought it would rate as. Sound good? All right. Yeah, absolutely. All right, have at it. It's all yours. Okay. So, I mean, I don't want to preface it. I'll preface it. <laughs> this one could be either scorching hot or like mildly tolerable. Like it could be either or. Um, all right. So the Minnesota Timberwolves will still win 40 games this season. Wow. So what is their current record? Two and is it is it they are two? Three and six. I oh, three. They're three. Yeah, they they won yesterday. They beat the uh, Lakers big last night. I think Wiggins had like forty seven. Um, but so, what is before we get into scoring it? What are some factors that you think will turn around for them? Well, I mean, they've been up in most of the games they played. Um, their defense is pretty terrible, and it's evident that they that they can't really close out um, close games. But um, you know, I I think uh, it just it, it's a matter of pecking order if anything else um towards the end of, end of games it seems as if like zach levine and uh and you know ricky rubio are the ones uh, trying to take charge when it should be you know maybe carl anthony towns or like andrew wiggins who, who takes that final shot um but you know um the, the, the defense will, will, will I, in my opinion at least uh you know increase um they have a top coach and top Thibodeau. they have a top player in carl towns um so, you know, I think overall uh, the factors right now um, have just not been coalescing in the beginning of the season. But, you know, this is my hot take, and uh, <laughs> I think they're still going to win 40 games. I think they're a young, uh, talented team, and, uh, you know, uh, I have faith in, in Thibodeau and in Towns. All right. So I sort of agree with you. I, I, I'm in for Andrew Wiggins and Carl Anthony Towns and Tom Thibodeau. I, I agree with you that there might be some sort of learning curve in grasping his defense. And that that will come over time. But I'm still really iffy on some of the pieces they have beyond Towns and Wiggins. So mm-hmm. I, I I would put this at something like a 140 just because 40 wins isn't even a 500 record. So right. I, I, I'd score it somewhere around 140. What did you have? Okay, wow. That, that was a lot you know, milder than I had. <laughs> I had 165. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. So. All right. Well, there you go. Well, we're actually going to continue with this idea. We were going to start okay. by grading some some NBA teams' performances, and I'm not sure that we're actually going to hit on the Timberwolves. But we'll get some to some other teams, and what we're going to do okay. is we're going to grade teams A, B, C, D, F for each of the five letter grades. Since you're a college student, and my day job is as a college <laughs> professor. Okay. So we're we're gonna get in the business of assigning letter grades now. Giving letter grades, you know, premeditated letter grades that somebody has to get an F, somebody has to get a D. That would be poor form in my profession. We wouldn't be allowed to do that. But we're gonna mm-hmm. do it for the basketball teams anyway, since it's a zero sum right. game. Somebody wins, <laughs> somebody loses. So let's start at the bottom and work our way up. So we're each gonna okay. name a team for each letter grade. I'm gonna let you go first and tell us your F team. Okay. Well, my F team actually has to do with my second hot take. 
um, <laughs> if you want to address to that. Um, All right. Basically, my F team is the Mavericks. And my other hot take was that, and this is not going to be plausible at all, uh, but you know, I figured it'd be an interesting topic of discussion that uh, Tim McMahon and Mark Stein would get their credentials revoked again. <laughs> now, you know, I know you told me not to go binary on the scale. But, uh, <laughs> this one's pretty out of left field. You I'd think it's going to happen I'd, again? Who knows? Who knows? It's Mark Cuban. He's he's doing. I don't know. He does Mark Cuban things, um, but you know, I just thought that was, <laughs> I thought that would be an interesting topic of discussion. Um, I like that one. On that? Uh, yeah, thoughts on that at all? <laughs> I I I think that is a very specific far-reaching controversial opinion so the likelihood of it happening is kind of rare but but it's a possibility that i think has more than a zero percent chance because of the the people because of the protagonists hey clinton had a 99 percent chance in like several polls so you know (laughs) i don't i don't know what's true or not anymore there you go so Um, why why are you giving the mavericks your f grade well you know a coach like Rick Carlisle is going to put together, uh, I think they're still going to put together maybe like 30, 35 wins, but um, partly because of this, this revoking the credentials, you know, I won't, I, sure. <laughs> I won't lie about that, but, but also just, you know, they defensively, they've been awful. Um, no single player has come out and, uh, you know, their offseason acquisitions have all been, you know, uh, not showing up and uh, it's evident that Dirk is declining a little bit. So um, they get my F. I guess partly because of basketball reasons, but you know, partly because of off off the court issues as well. So, fair enough. For my F grade, I had the Wizards. Okay, interesting. They are super disappointing at two and seven. I'm I'm still holding out hope that that they might be a reasonable team that plays to their <laughs> skill level, sort of like the Timberwolves. Right. You know, an ugly start is not totally irredeemable, but at this point, you look at what's happening there. You know, you have John Wall trying to get back from knee injuries. You have John Wall getting ejected from games. <laughs> you have Scott Brooks doing Scott Brooks things and a bench that's by and large really, really terrible with players like Trey Burke. Mr. Otto Porter. <laughs> oh, I'm all in on Otto Porter. Oh, uh, really? Keep him yeah. out of it. He's playing well. And he's going to get there. Okay. Okay. But yeah, okay. I, I you know I look at Trey Burke and and Marcus Thornton and I, and I think that's pretty much of a disaster of a backcourt off the bench. Uh, so you know maybe some you know the, there's still hope. Uh, maybe Sheldon McClellan is going to be an answer there, and he can yep. take over one of those jobs. Uh, but for now, the Wizards have been a pretty hot mess. Yeah, yeah, definitely. All right, rising up and beyond here. How about D? Okay, okay. Uh, my D grade would be the New Orleans Pel- Pelicans. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, structuring around Anthony Davis is obviously the move there. But, you know, if they're not going to, uh, you know, play defense around him, uh, help create shots besides, you know, like a, a spot up three from the corner or like an Anthony Davis post move down low, um, I don't see this team, uh, you know, fully developing into the team we thought it was going to be when they got all their pieces about two years ago, you know, Tyreek Evans, the, um, the, with all, yeah, all that deal. Um, and, and I don't know. Yeah. Uh, it's the defense. I think that you can't play Anthony Davis at the five. You play him down low. The perimeter is totally shot. Um, and it's a team that I don't think is ever going to coalesce. I don't know. Um, at least for this season. And, you know, 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if if the choice for me is between playing Terrence Jones at the four with Anthony Davis or playing Anthony Davis with Omer Ashik at the five, I I think I'd rather have Davis at the five just so that I could get Terrence Jones yeah. in. But right, right. You know, yeah, until you're, they you're get giving up, you're giving up some on defense for sure. So. Sure, absolutely. Trade off. Yeah. But uh, but until Drew Holiday gets back, there really just aren't a whole lot of NBA players that that I'm excited mm-hmm. to watch on that roster. Yeah, no, and definitely not. Definitely not. <laughs> it's borne itself out in some of those games. All right, so for my D team, I had the Magic. Okay. Uh, I'm just, you know, they're four and seven, and that's with a pretty pathetic schedule to this point. So really, mm-hmm. you know, if they had actually played uh, some bigger challenges, they probably wouldn't be four and seven. They'd probably be something like two and nine. Uh, mm-hmm. They've they've gone some games where Mario Hazonia hasn't played. They you know they made the choice of Alfred Payton over Victor Oladipo, which still baffles me a little bit. <laughs> and they just it seems like they have too many big men, not enough wings, definitely not enough offense, and so mm-hmm. it's just this crowded mess on the floor that's just not very fun to watch. Yeah. Uh... I mean, Orlando's just been a team, you know. I don't know. Uh, that's something. Uh, uh, the merging of all these different, like the you know, the Seventy Sixers process of collecting assets. Um, you know, I don't know what the efficacy of, of that is, but you know, we'll see if that comes together. I suppose. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I think for the Seventy Sixers, I mean, at least they're fun to watch. I mean, when you watch Embiid play, it's like okay, I yeah. can see what they were doing. But when I watch the Magic, it's just. <laughs> <laughs> makes me makes me want to watch like reruns of a bad TV show or something instead. <laughs> yeah, no, I saw. I think like Home Improvement was on at some like gas station. I was at. I was like, wow. I would I'm take Home seen... Improvement over the Magic. Absolutely, oh, the Magic. Okay, hundred okay. times out of a hundred, the Magic are no fun to watch. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. All right, what 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 team did you pick for your C team? So so. I was thinking, you know, because teachers have screwed me in the past of just, you know, the A, B, C, D uh, grading scale, I decided to throw some uh, pluses and minuses in there. <laughs> um, oh, okay. Yeah, I was, yeah. Sorry if that's too, uh, I don't know, a deviation from the standard, but um, <laughs> uh, I, yeah. I <laughs> but anyway, so my B minus team is the Golden State Warriors. Okay. Um, you know, obviously super talented team. Um you know, all the pieces, I can go on and on about the Warriors, and uh, I'm sure most people um, are familiar with their exploits. But uh, it just seems as if, you know, their, their intensity isn't there. They're not like, you know, they won't try sometimes on defense, and it, it allows teams to just stay in games. Um, we saw with the game in OKC, they'll have the passion. When they do have the passion, when they have the intensity, it'll be there, it's, it'll be palpable, and they uh, they come out to play, but, you know. Uh, but the team is really good, obviously. The team is super talented. It'll come together. And I think, uh, you know, they're obviously still still cont- uh, title favorites. But B minus for now. B minus for now. So B minus? Did you skip the C's and just bumped them up to a B minus? I did. I did bump them up to a B minus. <laughs> oh, wow. So no C's. Wow. Your curve's all messed up. Oh, I know. All right. Well, I'm going to take a step back and make the Bulls my C team. Okay. I'm I'm all in on... Jimmy Butler and Dwayne Wade. I really like that combination. I like watching Dwayne Wade with a three-point shot. It's you know, it's yeah, taken. Yeah, that's, that's been a surprising trope this year for sure. It's you know he he's a good shooter. So I mean, it, it's not a right. surprise. I mean, I know it takes some 
adjustment, but you know, for a player of of his skill set, it's really I don't think it's surprising that he can do it. I mean, it's, it, you've seen other players who who have much worse shooting mechanics and you know less of an affinity for scoring than than Wade does do it. So you know why couldn't Wade do it? And and, and with Butler is just a superstar. So mm-hmm. you know those two players together, their ability to crash, uh, you know, to score at the rim has also allowed them to be a very good offensive rebounding team, which I like. And you know the only thing that disappoints me is just I do not like watching Rajon Rondo run the offense. As a defender, he's, you know, reaching, gambling, taking way too many chances. Mm-hmm. He doesn't bring enough to the offense. I wish, I mean, I want to sort of exist in this vacuum where I could see what Wade and Butler can do together without him because I think they could be really special. Mm, um, and I know that a lot of games, you know, they're ending with Isaiah Cannon, which which is intriguing, and I... I wonder right. if you know if some sort of change is on the horizon for them, but you know they're they're a good team, you know, reasonably fun to watch, you know, and with a chance to to get a, a nice uh, playoff seat, I think. Now, do you think Rondo's uh, you know presence on the team affects them negatively from a humanistic aspect as well as a, you know a, a coupling with the uh, play on the court? I mean, I don't really have any firsthand experience. To mm-hmm. that effect, you know, I don't know what he. You know, the Bulls were in town last week, but there wasn't anything right. that that's that shouted uh, <laughs> that shouted, you know, uh, that that there were any problems. But I do have to say that I guess it was in the 2014-15 season. Uh, it was in the springtime. It was a game that involved a storm, and Dallas was in town to play the Hawks. And I guess because it was kind of late in the season and Dallas was on the end of one of their last road trips, there was a lot of pressure to, to play the game, even though there was a storm coming. They played the game, and when, when Dallas came out to, or when Rick Carlisle came out for his pregame press conference, he just had the look of a beaten man. And somebody asked him about Rondo, and it was just, you know, a 2,000-mile stare that was coming out of his <laughs> eyes because he didn't want to deal with it. And it, you know, what had happened was the previous game, right, uh, there right. had been some kind of, you know, standoff on the bench between Rondo and Carlisle. And it eventually ended up, you know, being some sort of team suspension, I think of him, but for that game, they, you know, they, I think they framed it as rest, but I've never seen a, a coach look as, as jaded as Carlisle did in that moment. <laughs> so, you know, if history is any right. record, then right. perhaps, you know, Rondo's having a bad influence, but I, you know, maybe he's turned it around and, and things are going great. Right, right, right. But maybe not. <laughs> yeah, well, who knows? Who knows? He, I mean, yeah. I mean, Rondo's had his past, but, uh, yeah, you know, you can't be, you can't be going around calling, calling referee, outing referees, essentially. So. Oh, yeah. wow. Yeah, that was a, yeah, a horrifying no. mistake, too. Mistake yeah. probably isn't even the right word. A horrifying decision. Yeah. Uh, absolutely absolutely uh, deplorable if anything else but yeah all right so you already picked a b team but i guess you want another one uh yeah so <laughs> i did <laughs> i'm a big fan of the plus and minuses again. my teacher screwed me in high school so <laughs> we had a, we had a binary scale going too well not, i guess not a binary scale hey uh what is it uh, i mean just a 90 would do 100 you know 80 to an 89 kind of deal i i 
I had like 15 glorious years of the 90 to 100, you know, where everything was oh, on a on a 10 point scale without pluses oh, and minuses. No, I loved no. that. That was great. No. Oh man, that was the those were the times. I guess from a faculty standpoint, I understand to a certain extent, just in terms of grading and stuff. But but I don't know. Well, see, the other problem though is that when you do it that way, and the student has, let's say, an eighty-nine point three, all hell breaks loose because that's yeah. it's yeah. so meaningful at that point to them, and it's like, oh god. Absolutely, absolutely, <laughs> and also just the baseline of uh, you know, like the difference between ninety and an eighty-eight is so much closer than a, the difference between a ninety-five and a ninety. But there's no way to signify that. There really isn't, yeah. That's so, true. That's that's my issue with that grading system, and it screwed me in the past. So we're going with a B plus right here. All right, go for it. B plus. Let's hear it. Atlanta Hawks. All right. The team we cover. Yes, sir. <laughs> um, you know, I, I've I, I've been pleasantly surprised by Dwight Howard's play, and I think that um, I, I hasn't been stressed enough, or maybe I haven't been, uh, you know, following uh, that storyline enough. But I feel as if um, he. He is a vacuum that we haven't seen, that we weren't able to see, I guess, with Al Horford in the past, at least in terms of consistent day-to-day uh, offensive rebounding, defensive uh, down-low intensity, uh, being able to use a pick-and-roll effectively. And Al Horford, obviously, a great player, had all those skills, but it's something, I think, just different with this team. He has the vertical um, length as well that Al Horford didn't. And so, um, uh, yeah, I, I and... Everything coming together, too. Um, the defense, obviously, is going to be there, and that's been there this season. Um, the offense is going to come. Uh, players still have to knock down their shots. I mean, Kent's, Kent's been doing a little better. Um, Kyle's always, obviously, consistent. Um, but, yeah, I, I think this team is looking good. Um, you know, uh, feasibly, uh, a top-four seed seems seems plausible at this moment, which, you know, a lot of people were speculating in the, in the preseason uh, maybe the Hawks don't make the playoffs. So I, I think expectations uh, were were low coming into the season, and uh, they've, they've far surpassed them. Fair enough. Uh, for my B team, and, and you know, I didn't prep with pluses or minuses, I think I would go with the Raptors. Okay. Uh, you know, they've got a lot of the same pieces that they had last year, except for Biombo, but DeMar DeRozan is doing his thing, and that makes a lot of difference for them. Uh, so j- just keep it brief. I would say that that they're an interesting team to watch. I mean, I don't. Is that sustainable that he can keep putting together these thirty three, thirty four, thirty five point games? Do you yeah. think that's something everything can... within the arc too, which is great. Like you, we haven't seen a score like this in a while. Yeah, it's like George Gervin is out there. Right, right, right. Got this lanky shooting guard, you know, yep. doing doing his thing, just jumping over people and scoring over their heads. Yep. Little twist around jumpers, bang, <laughs> bang on the elbow. It's nice to see. No, it's great. <laughs> the mid range is, uh, you know, it's a dime breed, but I don't know. Uh, maybe the trend is coming back. Who knows? <laughs> Fair enough. All right, time for A's. Are we getting A minuses, or are we going to go with a straight no, A? No, you know, I'm going solid A's here. <laughs> okay, who do you have? Um, I got the Los Angeles Lakers as next. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I um, like that one. Again, a mixture of on the court and off the court, but, you know, being from Los Angeles, uh, which, um, you know, viewers might not know, but um, it's evident in the past three years, it's just been despondent among <laughs> Laker fans. But, you know, <laughs> talking to people back home and in, you know, social media, conversations with friends, people are genuinely excited about this Lakers team in a way that I haven't seen in a very long time. 
And, you know, the fact that, the, that this team has been able to, you know, manipulate the minds of so many fans and like, but, you know, they actually are, you know, a, a, a solid squad. And I think one of, I mean, like Nick Young, for instance, hasn't played defense his entire career. Suddenly this year, he's got a, you know, his, his, his lineup defensive ratings, uh, the lineups that he's in, their defensive ratings are ridiculously low. All hell, Luke Walton. Yeah. Well, hey, <laughs> I, I was about to say, uh, I don't know how much Luke Walton has to do with that. I'm sure a good amount, but, you know, like this team uh, is exciting. And I think, uh, you know, if all coalesce as well, um, maybe some more pieces come in. Um, this could be a contender in the future, but in terms of this year, you know, the excitement level is there. It's 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 at a level that I don't think has been there since like 2012 when Kobe like tore his Achilles apart. Um, yeah, I, I think feasibly, I don't I don't know if they're going to be able to fight for that eight nine spot area, but um, you know, we'll have to see, I suppose. I like that. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know if Lou Williams can keep doing what he's doing. <laughs> right. Right. For a whole season, but you know that the combination of of Randall and Nance and Walton kind of reminds me of the the beginnings of Horford, Millsap, and Budenholzer. Just okay in 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 younger forms for all three of them. Right. But just you know the way that they they sort of use the small big men, they kind of you know get switchy and trappy and. And and you know they just play with a lot of enthusiasm, even though they're not the biggest team. They're just they sort of can't be dominated, even at that size. It's just really really impressive, and Definitely. it gives them the advantage of being mobile and being able to shoot and spread the floor. And and you know for Randall to do some things inside, which is just kind of exciting to see. Definitely, yeah, yeah. All right, well for my A team, I'm going to go with the Cavs. Uh, okay. No okay. hangover at all, really. They're eight and one. <laughs> Uh, you know, there was no real hiccup from the J.R. Smith thing, you mm-hmm. know, with that, with the long, you know, sort of uh, free agent impasse. And right. so, you know, just they, they really don't seem to be any issues. They're going to get a full season with Channing Fry in the fold, you know, having them, having him there in camp in the preseason, I think is going to help prepare them better to use his skills, especially when he's next to love. And it just sort of becomes this, you know, spread floor monster that's impossible to guard once they start zipping the ball around and and they're really really impressive yeah yeah they, they definitely are in a league of their own in the east um yeah all right we'll have, to see. we'll have to see how they match up with the uh with the b teams of the east i suppose b plus yeah. sorry b plus <laughs> <laughs> all right so turning our attention to the hawks your your b plus team right uh, I you know I've, as you watch this team, they perform well in so many different combinations. You know, in the first few games, you know it was Paul Millsap playing with four bench players, and that was just gangbusters. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've done well lately with Howard and four bench players. Mm-hmm. They've done well when you know Tim Hardaway jumps in for Corver, uh, mm-hmm. and they play that group. And they they play well in so many different lineup combinations. They play especially well when they take the starters and you put either Muscala with Howard in the front court or you put Muscala with Millsap in the front court. But the one combination that really hasn't worked has been the starting five. Schroeder, Korver, Bazemore, Millsap, Howard. Right, right. Let me get the stats here. Their net rating to this point 
is negative 11.6 points per 100 possessions. How concerning is that? You know, that's that when you told me about that, that's actually super surprising to hear, to be honest. Um, okay. It, yeah, it seems as if the defensive e- efficacy of the team was kind of there. I mean, as a unit, I guess, I suppose it wasn't. Um, I think individually it seemed as if, you know, they, they were contesting shots, they were getting in passing lanes, um, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, I guess if these numbers are any indication, it just shows that, uh, um, you know, there is there is work to be done both in working along the perimeter in that, like, I feel as if a lot of the time switching is a big issue. Um, switching, especially in the beginning of games, um, they've started slow in the past few games in terms of, you know, getting a, 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 in the perimeter um, and reducing those those three-point shots. But um, Okay. Yeah, no, and it's also super interesting that the, the lineups with Delaney, Muscala, THJ, and Thabo, those, those four to, together with a Millsap and Howard swap out uh, seem to be the most effective lineups. Right. Yeah, it's interesting. Man, I, 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 when we asked Budenholzer about sort of about that trio, let's say Millsap, Muscala, and Howard, mm-hmm. and, you know, Mus, Mus, Muscala's ability to shoot, uh, you know, Budenholzer obviously said that he liked Mike's ability to shoot, but at the same time, he thought that the Millsap-Howard pair defensively was going to have a lot of clout. And, and they have been pretty good defensively. But, uh, you know, offensively, it seems like things get gummed down. And I think that's the end. You know, the, the defensive numbers aren't great. Right. Uh, you know, it's a 108.6 rating with, with the starting yeah. five out yeah. there. But, I mean, I, I think that's going to come. And I think they have to decide a little bit on the identity of that group. Because I know that there have been times when, yeah. you know, they get behind a little bit. They put in Tabo and some players that were around last season. And they play that type of trap defense that they use so well with Horford and and the like and I don't think they you know I don't think they want to use that with Howard just because you know number one it's more difficult for him number two you know when they keep him closer to the rim he becomes sort of indomitable on the rebounds and on the glass so you know they like having him down there I think so it's this strange mix of I they really have to figure out sort of what the identity of that starting five is because you know the team has worked so well in all these other combinations, and that one really hasn't. Yeah, yeah. What do you What do you think of Dennis Schroeder's game so far this season? He's been solid. He's been solid. Um, you know, some turnovers. That, that's a little bit of an issue. Um, but I think his playmaking. You know, he'll. Um, yeah, this is another thing that I actually was going to bring up, but just in terms of like the offensive diversity, I think with that starting lineup, it seems as if they tend to go towards certain just plays they'll have Dennis Schroeder drive to the middle and find a play or they'll just have some sort of standard pick and roll um what do you think about the uh, offensive diversity of the, of the starting lineup in particular uh yeah I, I there you know one of the things that I really hope to see at some point that I don't think we've seen much of yet is Millsap as a ball handler in the pick and roll with Howard um you know I think that's something that the Hawks did you know, a while back with, you know, Josh Smith and How- and Horford. Mm-hmm. It's really I mean, bad. It's really yeah. bad that Howard and Horford are so close from a pronunciation standpoint of view. <laughs> I always I always do that, and it's always embarrassing. Josh Smith and Al Horford. There, we spit it out. Spit it out. Yeah, so, you know, that was something that, 
you know, the Hawks in the old days used quite effectively. And, you know, Millsap's such a good ball handler. And Howard is such a great role, man, that I think that combination has some potential. Maybe it's something that you kind of save on the down low for when you really need it. I don't know. Um, mm-hmm. And it might work better with a point guard like Delaney, who works well off the ball as opposed to Schroeder. And so maybe that isn't going to save the starting five per se, but would right. would be better served in another combination. But I do think that's something that, that will help the Howard uh, Millsap pair at times if they try it. That'd be interesting for sure. Millsap with the pick and pop, maybe, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. And that's, you know, another thing that, that might work is, you know, some, some pick and rolls where Millsap is the ball handler, but mm-hmm. with the guard as a screener. Mm. Uh, you know, that, that might be something. I, and I don't think they've used that much. Usually they put the ball right. in Schroeder's hands or if maybe Millsap for an isolation, but they haven't sort of done that sort of reverse pick and roll with the big man. Uh, and not, not Howard here, but Millsap handles the ball and, and a guard sets a screen for him. I think that could be an effective play for them. For sure. All right. Well, uh, anything else in the lineups that stands out to you, for you? Um. I mean, the main thing, Muscala, THJ, Tabo, Delaney. That quartet with Millsap and Howard out are, are the top two. I mean, given that they've only played, uh, what is it, 20 minutes or so in, sure. in those two lineups. But, uh, yeah, well, I mean, the, the second unit has come up big for this team, especially after a few, after a few slow starts. Um, yeah, I think it's pretty evident. If what do you think is going to happen? Let's say a month from now, if Tiago Splitter is healthy, how does that change what the bench does? Or do you, do you think he'll be taking the minutes from Humphreys, or how, how does that going to shake out? You think? Yeah, you know, I don't know. I, I think so. Muscala and and Splitter play two exceedingly different roles, and yeah. they are the same too kind of like second team unit. And so I don't know if he'd be taking, I, I guess he'd be taking Chris Humphrey's minutes, but I, I, he'd probably eat into Muscala's, but I guess we'll have to see how Muscala's playing uh, then. Um, we'll have to see if he's still, you know, like kind of red hot, like he's been. Um, but no, Tiago's player on this team, I think would be more helpful than anything else um, in adding some size, some length down low. And, uh, you know, h- him pairing with Millsap, obviously last year was pretty effective. So. Yeah, I've been impressed by Humphreys this season. You know, he's been he's been solid as a rim protector in the preseason mm-hmm. and in the, you know the, the the few games that we've had of the regular season so far. He's been yeah. good on the boards. I think his three point shot is, you know, kind of spreads the floor for them in a way that you know Perontich's shot used to spread the floor for them. I, I and I know that Splitter is a is a dynamic player, and that he did amazing things in San Antonio. I'm just worried that that we're thinking of sort of the idealized version of splitter and maybe mm-hmm. not, you Ask know, what, what, what the, you know, what the Hawks are actually going to have in splitter when he comes back from injury, you know, even if he's healthy, you know, just sort of the rust factor and confidence. And I think, you know, I think Muscala is completely safe uh, until, you know, at least until splitter gets into the lineup, you know, for some, for some minutes here and there and, and proves that, you know, he has something that, that contributes in a positive way because Muscala has been so good that I don't think they can afford to Definitely. to mess with his minutes. But I'm interested to see how it plays out with with uh, with Splitter and Humphreys. 
Yeah, uh, it, it, it's about running the floor too. I think. I mean, Muscala and, and Humphreys in transition have been fantastic. I've seen Humphreys, you know, make a, a few plays just in transition that would just actually surprise me. Um, so yeah, hopefully Tiago can get out, get back out there. You know, you know what kind of plays in transition for Humphreys? Um, he'd be like at half court. I think this was against the 76ers last game. He'd okay. be at half court. I think he picked up the ball and like made a, a dime of the pass like to the corner. Oh, okay. And uh, yeah, yeah. So, you know, um, just from what I've seen, I think, uh, yeah, Chris Humphreys adds a dynamic that, that uh, an injured Tiago splitter, I don't know. Yeah, I agree. Wouldn't be able to, I guess, mirror. Yeah, I mean, he's he's something else though splitter it's just it's 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 tricky it's really tricky to kind of predict what's going to come out of it because there were there are times when he can just dominate defensively and he's such a good passer but he's not really a great shooter and you know what kind of athleticism he has at this point it's just sort of a mystery oh it'll be interesting to see and you know one of the things that's that's also interesting is the Hawks are going to come up on a span where I think they have 13 games in 19 days. And, you know, even if they want to play a 10-man rotation, it might not always be the same 10 men every night just because that's such a grind. Mm-hmm. So there might be opportunities for, for the rookies or for Ryan Kelly or for Splitter and Scott if they end up being healthy. You know, it's it's mm-hmm. kind of that stretch in the season where even if you have a 10-man rotation, you might be digging 13 or 14 deep to just kind of play some guys on alternate nights. All right, well, uh, last week the Chicago Bulls were in town, and in the most recent draft, in the the second round, they picked Paul Zipser, uh, who is a forward from Germany, who had been playing with uh, Bayern Munich in the Bundesliga. (laughs) Mm -hmm. My German is bad. (laughs) But one of the interesting things about Zipser is that he has prior experience with all the Hawks point guards, all two of them. He played on the German national team with Dirk Nowitzki and Dennis Schroeder uh, when they competed in uh, the European championships and world championships and that sort of thing. Uh, well, I guess Schroeder didn't. I'm sorry, I guess Nowitzki didn't do all those competitions. But, you know, when Nowitzki played and when Schroeder played, Zipser was there as a forward playing with them. And he played with Malcolm Delaney in his first season with Bayern. So, you know, I asked Zipser about his adjustments to the NBA and and what he remembered of his experiences with Schroeder and with Delaney. And when he refers to Omaha, you're wondering what why he's referring to Omaha. There was a game that Chicago and Atlanta played in Omaha in the preseason, so that's what he's talking about. How's the transition been so far getting from Germany to here? Um I think there's a lot of stuff changing in the game, like tactical-wise, uh, physical-wise, a lot of new things, uh, new lifestyle, new city, new everything. But, yeah, I like it so far. Do you ever talk to Dennis about making that, that transition? Yeah, a lot. Um, when we played uh, you guys in Omaha, we had a little dinner, and we, we talked a lot. And of course, in the summer, uh, he didn't play with us, but, yeah, we know each other, so we talked. Is it uh is it hard to get used to the longer three point line? Yeah, that took me a little while. And sometimes I shoot like my shot, and I think it's good, and it's, it's short a little bit, so you still have to adjust a little bit. 
Um, you did you play with Malcolm Delaney with in, in Munich? It, like, yeah. your, was that your first season? There was. Let's go. I had uh, half a year in Bayern, but I was just injured, so that was my first year where I uh, come in the rotation, like my first uh, international um, experience. Um, yeah, and he was a great leader. He led us to a championship. We had a really good season there. Um, yeah, everybody in Munich still likes him very, like, very much. Do you have any lasting memories of that, that run to a championship in that season? Um, yeah, injured my... Um, I had a yeah, heavy knee injury. Mm -hmm. I had surgery going in the playoffs. And so sometimes I, like, I missed the games because I was in the hospital. But then when I came back, like the team was so like together. Um, yeah. And it was really impressive to see how everybody played together. And he was, of course, the point guard, the leader, the MVP of the league um, that season. So he did a really good job there. <laughs> All right. Avery. Yes. Uh, what have we seen from Delaney this season? And, you know, what type of player is he? How is, how is his experience as being, let's say, a frontier player in Europe showing itself in the NBA so far? Yeah, you know, I think his effectiveness level has definitely been prevalent. Um, I, I think, you know, that European style of, uh, you know, pick and rolls, ball movement uh, translates into Bud's system uh, pretty well. Um, you know, they, they haven't asked him to do too much. So it leaves him to be, you know, effective when he does make a play. Um, he's been hitting the open jumpers, you know, finding the open man, pretty much just the upper echelon of what you can ask for out of a backup point guard. Yeah, I'm, I'm intrigued. You know, when, when you look at, you know, the things that he did in Europe, in addition to, you know, winning an awful lot, you know, winning in France, winning in the Ukraine, mm -hmm. winning in Germany, and then going to Russia and sort of taking that team up a couple levels all the way to the EuroLeague Final Four, um, you know, in in addition to the winning, just sort of looking at his skill sets, I think most of it has translated to the NBA. You know, the things that he is good at. Well, he's good at running a pick and roll and finding a pull-up jumper. He's shown that you can hit that mid-range shot just at a ridiculously high level. You know, he's shown that he can run a team and, and not turn the ball over a lot. He's shown, I think especially, and if you ask Budenholzer about Delaney, he's going to say this. You know, he fights hard on defense. When somebody sets a screen and he's supposed to go over the screen, he gets over the screen. And when somebody's driving the lane and he needs to move his feet, he moves his feet. He's just sort of this competitor on defense. And I think I'd say the same thing as a rebounder. You know, He's not big at all, but when you watch him in there um, you know, grinding, He's going to box people out. He's going to look for leverage and try to get in there. If he, if he sees a big man kind of drop the ball down, he's going to try to get his hands in there and grab it too. I think the yeah. one thing maybe that he did in Europe that hasn't translated yet is, you know, I think uh, in Europe he was one of the top uh, one of the top point guards at, at, you know, going into the lane, creating contact, and getting to the free throw line. I'm mm -hmm. not sure that we've seen as much of that yet. Yeah, you know, I found that every time, you know, that he'll, he'll take possession of the ball, I don't know if it's, you know, the, the offense isn't generated around him. And, you know, that's that's when his good decision-making skills, his, you know, his, his scrappiness, his effectiveness at, you know, being off the ball really comes into play. And I think he's able to scrap those up. He'll, he'll find his occasional pick and roll, and I think uh, that's where he, he's done uh, the bulk of his scoring damage. But uh, you know, I think I think his play uh, on defense and off the ball have been uh, his true traits, for sure. 
Yeah, I wonder if, you know, if maybe just the fact that, you know, the level of athlete is that much greater, maybe the size of athlete is, is is better in the NBA than it was in Europe, if that's, you know, factoring into it. But as you say, one of the things that's absolutely great about his style of play is that he forces nothing. You know, he takes what's there. If if he sees a pick-and-roll defense and the big man drops back, you know, that's like automatic mid-range jumper. He's going to take it. He's going to be open. Chances are he's going to have a good, you know, good shot of making it. Uh, you know, if they sort of trap or do anything like that, you know, he's going to move the ball. Um, so he's just going to make great decisions. And I think one of the other things that, that kind of fits the Hawks well, weirdly enough, is that he plays without the ball in his hands. You know, at Virginia Tech, he is yeah. basically a two guard in, in a point guard's body. Um, mm. And, you know, he's perfectly content with, you know, doing what I think the Hawks want their park point guards to do a lot, which is, you know, when they sort of, it seems like when they, you know, they initiate their motion offense a lot where the, the guard brings the ball up and they pass the ball to a big who's out, you know, straight, dead on straight out beyond the three-point line. And that big, you know, then does a pass to, to initiate the offense. Well, you know, they want their guard at that point, once they've handed off to the big to, you know, work off the ball and weave your way through the offense. And, you know, I don't know that that was something that they were terribly pleased with, you know, with how Teague did that when Teague was here. Um mm. But I think he does that really well. You know, he's he's perfectly comfortable handing off and then making cuts off the ball, c- curling around down screens and things like that. Yep. yep. Yeah. Is, you know, it's sort of tricky. You know, Schroeder's playing pretty well. He says his first year as a starter, they probably don't want to, like, cut into his confidence or anything like that. But do you think there's any chance that Delaney's role gets bigger? Hmm. If push comes to shove, yes. If Schroeder returns to, um, you know, not being effective from three, not being effective from mid-range, turning over the ball, I think it'll take it'll take some mistakes from Schroeder's part for Delaney to get more involved uh, in this team. Okay. What about you? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I, I've been pleased with how Schroeder has shot the ball so far. You know, it looks like he's got a nice, smooth shot. Definitely, um, definitely. He's hitting a nice to... percentage from three. You know, he's turning the ball over a lot. And, I, you know, I don't know that that's all necessarily on him. I think that's just part of, you know, adjusting to Howard's role in the offense. Mm-hmm. You know, and a new a new version of spacing than what they had last year. Just people are in different places. Um, so, you know, I'd like to see Schroeder turn the ball over a little bit less. But that's that's just the way he plays. I mean, he's mm-hmm. he's not Jeff Teague, you know. For better or for worse, you know, Jeff Teague and Al Horford did what they did, and one of the things that they did was they, like, never turned the ball over. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there were times where they couldn't get a good look and the shot clock was going to expire. There were those <laughs> those uh, those glory days when there'd be, like, three or four 24-second shot clock violations in the, same, <laughs> in the same game. You know, it was like this combination of unselfishness but also sort of, a com- you know, factoring in also – maybe the inability to just sort of dominate and get a shot when you want to get it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not really going to be a problem for this offense. You know, they've, they've got Schroeder, they've got Howard, you know, when there's time to get a shot, they'll get it. Uh, but they're also going to make some mistakes and the spacing's going to be funky at times. And so it's just a different feel. So they're going to turn the ball over more often. Uh, they just need to turn it over more often, less often. <laughs> <laughs> if that makes any and sense. And also not not directly in uh open open court to uh you know and allow them to just go on transition offense immediately. 
Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. They 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 need to cut down on the live ball turnovers. That's for right. sure. Well, anything else that we should mention on the Hawks, or how are we, you are we good here? Um, let's see. I mean, I have nothing in particular. Um, all if right. If you had any more topics to talk about, no, I'm I'm all for it. Oh no no we we got to see what happens this week and and then okay. we'll yeah, probably have a lot more to discuss. Yeah, Do you have definitely. anything to plug? Uh no no maybe uh maybe the wheel and uh, you know no <laughs> <laughs> the Emory wheel for for yeah. okay that's right. the the right. school newspaper for people that weren't expecting that. What was that? That's the school newspaper for for people who aren't students at Emory. <laughs> yeah yeah right right that's my that's my plug I guess. For, for okay day. anything yeah. coming up at Hawks Hoop? Um, you know, uh, stay tuned for some videos. Uh, we're going to continue with that. Um, and, um, you know, Eric's been working on some election stuff. He's been amalgamating some quotes. Um, those should be interesting. Um, you know, especially, if, you know, Kevin, you were there to uh, witness a few of those. Um, so yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Um, I think that'll be a group project as well, with, at least in terms of like me, him and I, and, uh, yeah, just consistent content, I think from, from here on out. Yeah, it's it's always interesting hearing uh, Tabo talk about the election, even though he's not a citizen. Right, right. He's right. a person yeah. who you know yeah. who has his pulse on things, yeah. and and is a dedicated thinker and has spent a lot of time uh, carefully considering the subject. Yeah, yeah. So, he, he probably had the most profound thoughts out of all, everyone uh, that I, at least I saw in interview. So yeah, so stay tuned for that. That'll be good. All right. Cool. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Avery. Thank you very much, Kevin. I appreciate uh, it. All right. Have a good one.